Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back. My name is Diana Kander, and I am on a journey of self-discovery and self-improvement. And each week I talk to an expert to find out yet another blind spot that I have on my way to becoming the professional that I wish to be. And each week I get a little bit more self-awareness. So I thought, how meta would it be if I did a whole episode on getting to know self-awareness better? My friend, Dr. Tasha Urich, did a 2017 TEDx talk on the topic, and she shared that while 95% of us identify as self-aware people, only 10 to 15% of us actually are. And research from Harvard Business Review says that the worse our self-awareness, the worse our business outcomes. So I wanted to dive into this topic even more. And so my guest today is Dr. Tasha Urich, an organizational psychologist, researcher, and New York Times bestselling author. Her clients include organizations like T-Mobile, KPMG, Walmart, IBM, Royal Bank of Canada, Vail Resorts, and the Miami Heat. Thinkers 50 has named her one of the top management thinkers in the world and a top 50 world leader in coaching. And she's ranked number 13 on the global gurus list of organizational culture experts. Tasha and I are going to talk about why self-awareness isn't just about uncovering all the ways that you're failing. It's also about understanding your unknown strengths, how to balance the perception of others with how we see ourselves and our values to get to the real truth. And the two questions that Tasha teaches all her clients to get honest feedback from others. Before we get to the meat of the matter, please take a second to like and review the show. Not sure if you've already done it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't hurt to do it again. You know, just in case. Each and every rating and review helps us get guests for the show. It helps us move up in the online ratings. And it lets people know that it's worth their time to listen to amazing content like this conversation with Tasha Urich. Tasha, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to get to chat with you. Give me a little bit of your background about how self-awareness became something that you became so obsessed about and, and why that came to be. Obsessed is the right word. So I've been an organizational psychologist for the last 15 years. And, you know, to sort of grossly oversimplify what that looks like, my, my mission in life is to help leaders, help successful leaders be even more successful. And so um, in the course of that work, there was a pattern that I started to see over and over again that I wasn't seeing in the broader population. So, um, you know, people like us are, are brought in uh, for various different reasons, but there was sometimes a pattern where I would get hired. Um, typically, I coach the top one to two levels of, of executives in, in mid to large size companies. And the client would be, you know, they'd been successful up until that point, but something was getting in their way. So they were either um, mildly unself-aware and really didn't have a complete appreciation for how they were coming across to their team, for example, or they were so unself-aware that they didn't know it, but they were on the verge of getting fired. And 
what I learned from working with clients like this, you know, again, smart, successful people is that the ones who committed to seeing themselves clearly, to understanding who they are, how they're seen, how they fit into the world would see these dramatic, powerful transformations in their level of success and and not just their level of success professionally, but the, the, um, the life they were living, the relationships they had within and outside work. And it was just this sort of incredible pattern. But as I looked in the broader world, I I sort of anecdotally at least thought that we were getting less self-aware as a society um, and not more self-aware. And what I wondered, you know, a little more than five years ago was, what do we actually know scientifically about self-awareness? It's, you know, something that I had observed anecdotally. It's something, it's a, a management buzzword that people throw around. But what my research team and I wanted to discover was what what is it really? What is self-awareness? Where does it come from? Why do we need it? And how do we get more of it? And um, it, it, there were a lot of twists and turns in this process. And a couple of the main things we learned is, number one, most of us aren't quite as self-aware as we think we are. We've got more room to improve than we think, including me. Uh, and uh, number two, a lot of the most commonly accepted paths to self-awareness, um, not only do they often not work, they can have uh, a negative effect on our self-awareness. And so it's been a really enlightening project where, you know, I thought it would be pretty straightforward, but there have been so many surprises along the way. It's, it's really fun to, to share what we learned. Well, I recently read an article that said that in reality, only 10 or 15% of Americans are actually humble and the rest of us just think that we are. And thankfully, I am in that 10 to 15 percent, which is oh, yeah, very exciting so for me. Very humble. <laughs> but I understand that the number like you've done research and people like the self-awareness numbers were very similar in terms of like how people perceive themselves versus what they actually were. Yes. So we found that um, if you ask people about 90 per, or 95, I'm sorry. of people believe that they're self-aware. They'll say, yes, I am. I either agree or strongly agree with that statement. But the real number um, is closer to about 10 to 15%. And, you know, of course, it, 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 you shouldn't, we shouldn't oversimplify people as being self-aware or not self-aware, but we've tried to do that in the spirit of showing what that pattern is, which is that, you know, the joke I always make is on a good day, most of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. And that's a pretty sobering truth, but I think it's where we have to start. So how do we demonstrate to people that this is something that's affecting them? Because I think it's very easy for all of us to be like, well, I'm in the 10 to 15 percent, obviously. So how, how do you show people? <laughs> I, I'm going to flip that around because I think um, what I've discovered as I have um, you know, traveled all around the world to, to share our, my message and the results of our study is I think we need to look at it in less of a punitive way. Um, I, I sort of started beating this drum by saying like, nobody's self-aware and we all need to be more self-aware. And, and I think actually um, a better way of looking at it that, that most of us can connect to is making the decision that um, I am probably not as self-aware as I think I am. And that doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't mean I'm not self-aware, but it means that um, no matter what I learn or what I've already learned, there's always more to discover. Now, of course, there are people where a lack of self-awareness, you know, past a certain point is going to start to get in their way. You know, they might get 
fired from a job because they didn't know they weren't meeting expectations or they might have relationships fall apart or they might get a bad performance review. Um, and I think that happens. You know, if anybody who's listening to this, um, and I put myself in this category too, if you've ever been surprised at the way a situation turns out, you know, like, oh, wow, I, I didn't get that promotion and I thought it was in the bag, or I just took a 360 and the way people see me wasn't quite the way I see myself there's a good chance that there's more that we can learn. Um, but what I've learned from our, our research subjects, we part of what we did in our study was uh, looked at people who didn't start out as self-aware, but who became highly self-aware, kind of like my coaching clients, um, is we learned that it, they don't look at it in a negative way. They say, you know, there's one of our research subjects who likened it to exploring space. And he said, the cool thing about space and the way it's like self-awareness is that no matter what we know, there's always more to discover. And I think that's where we start to feel empowered by this is, you know, I think particularly for women, it's so easy for us to um, find angles where, at least for me, like I end up beating myself up about something. I'm falling short on my self-awareness when it's really about how can I give myself an edge and how can I live a better and more successful and happy life? So that, that would be my response. You know, I've been thinking lately that life is a struggle between yourself today and your future self in all kinds of ways. And just as you were talking, I was thinking like you're either going to be surprised today by some kind of feedback that you're that you were not aware of, or you're going to be surprised by it, you know, a little bit down the road, in which case it'll be much more painful. So you're just trading off like pain today for pain tomorrow. I like that a lot. I think that's really well said. So how do I convince people <laughs> that they want to feel pain today? Because, you know, everything that we do in our lives is to is to seek comfort and, and avoid pain or discomfort. And, and a lot about self-awareness has to do with becoming very uncomfortable and listening to feedback that, that we might not be prepared for. Oh, my gosh. I have so many initial responses to this. But here, here's one thought. What I tell my clients when they're hesitant for me to go, you know, talk to everyone they work with and find out how they're seen, what I often say is, listen, people, this, and the research has shown this really consistently, people are sharing what they think about you to everyone but you. Wouldn't you rather to maximize your ability to succeed and thrive, wouldn't you rather know what they're saying so that you can make a decision about what you want to do about it. And I think it's, you know, it's like your analogy of pain today or pain tomorrow. Although I would also say that in the journey of self-awareness, there are so many surprises that end up being positive. I think we look at it as like the journey of self-awareness is um, me realizing all the areas I suck that I didn't know. Um, that can be a piece of it sometimes, but uh, an equally important part is, you know, especially for women, is finding out what are the areas that other people see as our defining strengths that we may not be taking incredibly seriously or we, we might not have a full knowledge or appreciation of. So I think I think it's important to have a balanced perspective on it and to to operate under the assumption that knowing is almost always going to be better than not knowing. Well, I love that perspective. I, I personally always think about the negative, so that really helps me. When somebody asks you to look into how everybody else perceives them, usually when I have these conversations, people will say, you know, I want to be more self-aware. I want to understand my blind spots. And then they're always like, okay, how messed up am I? So right. how, do you, how do you, as a 
as a therapist, how do you begin that conversation by saying something like, you know, all of us need to be more self-aware. It's, it's not like, like all of us are messed up. <laughs> right. Well, and, and again, I, I think it's the way we frame it as professionals. So as an organizational psychologist, it is um, equally important to me to gather feedback on all of the amazing things that, that people are doing in addition to things that might be limiting them. So you start with the full picture for somebody. And then once, once they are aware of all of these things they were not aware of, what, what happens next? Because it's usually a long list of things. Well, so if we take a step back, when you, when you think about what self-awareness really is, it's made up of two types of self-knowledge. So one of them is something we named internal self-awareness, which is understanding who we are on the inside. Um, remember, because self-awareness is just as much about how we see ourselves and having that clarity as how other people see us. Um, and so that, that's why I want to maybe emphasize that in addition to what we're talking about in terms of feedback, that there isn't one truth. Um, I think it's really easy for people to, again, oversimplify it and say, well, it doesn't matter what other people think as long as I know myself. Or on the other side of the spectrum, um, and we, our research has shown that women tend to do this a little bit more, is to overweight feedback from other people so that overrides the way we see ourselves and, and the clarity we have about ourselves. Um, and so I think it's, it's this dynamic process. You know, it's becoming self-aware isn't me sitting down with a feedback report and telling someone how they're seen. That's a piece of it but it's just as much about learning sort of who we are and what makes us tick. Um, if that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. And, and once we, we have the knowledge, how do you decide what to do? Like, do you double down on your strengths? Do you work on your weaknesses? What's the, what's the best plan of action? The beauty of this journey, um, as I've discovered and learning from so many people who've done it is you get to decide. So I think it's, you know, let's give the example of learning about a potential limitation that, that you're hearing about for the first time. I think it's, it's our instinct to immediately respond and say, well, I have to fix this. You know, I, I have to fix it <laughs> as though um, without it, we are simply not valuable humans. And I do think that there are a lot of situations where if we, if we get feedback, especially about something that is relevant to what we want to pursue in the future, we should listen. We should make a decision about what to do. But it's not the only possible answer changing. I, I tell a story in my book about an entrepreneur who basically learned through a, a very dramatic and very kind of soul-crushing 360 process that he a lot of the things that he thought were his defining strengths were what other people saw as his biggest limitations. And the, in a nutshell, it was he, he thought he was an amazing communicator and motivating leader and everybody else was saying, you know, you're one of the worst <laughs> that I've worked with. And he did a bunch of research and he discovered that, um, you know, in, in his mind, after looking at, he looked at neuroscience and he looked at all the research on, on improving those skills. And he came to the conclusion that um, he believed that if he put effort into the, this and really kind of changing that, he wasn't going to see 
a significant enough payoff that it would be worth it for all of these stakeholders. He said, you know, I could go from a really terrible communicator to a not so terrible communicator, but is that really going to help you? And so what he decided to do was equally brave and equally valuable as an option, which was to um, be more honest about it. You know, he, he called a company meeting of his small team at the time and he put his results on the table and he said, you know, here's, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I do care about you. And I, I'm, I might forget that it's your birthday or I might forget that you just had a baby and forget to mention it to you. Um, but I do care and here are the ways that I'm going to show you. And it doesn't automatically kind of exonerate us from any suboptimal behavior, but I do think that it's important to remember that we have that choice. You know, it, it, it can be helpful to change, but it's not always the only answer. A lot of our conversation so far has been about individual self-awareness, and I spend most of my time on team self-awareness, the dynamics that exist between between people. And I feel like if we have little insight into ourselves or some blind spots, there's definitely even more when you multiply the number of people involved. Is that what you found to be the case? Yeah, I think that's really well said. It, it, it's committing to sort of that same level of understanding at a collective level, which automatically becomes more difficult because you've got, you know, at the individual level, it's, it's who am I and how am I coming across? At the team level, it's who am I and how am I coming across? And do we have collective awareness of, um, you know, what we're trying to accomplish and our progress towards those objectives and the processes we're using and the assumptions we're making. So it's almost like the list gets longer and the goal becomes a lot more multifaceted, which is why when you can build a self-aware team, they can accomplish the impossible. Um, But I also think it's why most teams are not self-aware. Because there's so many different factors involved? There is. And again, humans are built to withhold telling each other difficult information. Um, And it takes a lot of, as you know, you know, it takes a lot of energy and effort and process and commitment to overcome that. You know, and you look at like the work Amy Edmondson is doing on psychological safety. That's one of the fundamental factors um, behind what makes successful teams successful is I feel that I can, you know, put tough truths on the table without retribution or punishment. Um, and, and it's hard to do. And it's not as simple as saying, well, let's build trust um, because it, it, it's not enough. You have to have a leader who models the way you have to have a process where you surface that. So again, I think it's just, it's a lot of simultaneous objectives that you have to focus on at once. Yeah. I feel most people are operating in the the theme of like no news is good news yep. for whatever it is that they're doing on their team. And I, I want to make them really nervous about no news. So is there anything <laughs> that you can put into place to have, you know, I, I want to inception myself in people's brains so that like when things are going really well and they're like, we're killing it, I want to be back there by like, are you really? <laughs> so how do you put those kinds of triggers into a team function to say like when it's feeling the most comfortable, that's when something is probably wrong. <laughs> right. Well, I don't want to be like yeah. the negative person in there or, you know, you're, you're really bringing me around to like seeing the positive aspects of, of all of self-awareness, but I'm always paranoid about what the blind spots that are going to get you in big trouble. And I, I really like that idea. So you're, you're talking about basically 
something, a tool that I call reframing. And there's two ways to reframe. So you could, if you're in a really positive situation, you, every team should be asking themselves, you know, what are we missing? Or, um, and I'll give you a tool in a second to do that. But, you know, if everything is rosy, you know, what would we, what would we be seeing if it weren't and what would the signals be? And then by the same token, if everything is horrible, um, what can we learn from this and how can we use this to move us in a, in a more positive direction or what opportunities exist in this horribleness that we might not have otherwise? Um, and so I think that's a really, that's a, a valuable tool for discussion that leaders in particular can control. The teams that I work with, they just feel like they're taxed on time as it is. How do you communicate to them the importance of setting time aside to do this work? That's a great question. I, I think one of the things I've learned from our work on self-awareness is it takes less time than you might think if you use a strategic objectives focused approach. Um, so when I think about the executive teams that I work with over, you know, the course of time, which by the way, team self-awareness is not, we had a retreat and now we're self-aware <laughs> as much as everybody wants that to be true. Um, you know, but I think about one client in the healthcare space where I've been working with their executive team for the last year. Basically what we do is, you know, it started with a two-day session where we, um, you know, did some assessments. We, we folded in with other strategic planning. So they were going to come together and talk about this anyway. We tacked on a little bit of, you know, essentially how can we as a team show up in a way that supports our achievement of our strategic objectives. That's an important way uh, to frame it in my experience. And then from there, we create a very simple plan. You know, it's usually less than a page of these are the things we've committed to and we're going to focus on. And then the next quarter before we meet, I send out a five-minute survey to measure how well we've actually done those things. And then we get together and talk about it and, and start to sort of plug the, the holes. And so in my, <laughs> this is just a, this is like my tough love moment, but typically when clients are saying, you know, I'm really nervous about the time this requires is sort of a couple of responses. One is imagine what would happen if you didn't invest this time. You know, imagine you have a, a critical business issue that somebody is not comfortable surfacing because, you know, th there isn't that feeling of safety. How much is that going to cost you in terms of time and energy? And then, you know, what I try to do is make it as efficient as possible and, and remove what, you know, can sometimes be an excuse. It can sometimes be a legitimate concern that, you know, we don't want to spend endless amounts of time, but it is possible to make big improvements in team self-awareness without a huge amount of time invested in my experience. This episode is brought to you by the ultimate self-awareness tool, Whoop. Whoop is the fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insights into your recovery, your strain, and your sleep. Jason, how has your Whoop helped you bring some self-awareness to your life? Well, a lot of different ways. I was just thinking about today where both of us woke up having gotten lots of sleep. We got nearly eight hours of sleep, which is hard to do. Record setting. Yeah. I mean, particularly both of us. And then we were like, hmm, it looks like our recovery score, like our body's not as recovered as we would think after eight hours of sleep. But that's because the whoop was like, hey, you did a lot of stuff yesterday. Eight hours is not going to be enough. So like while we both worked out today, like we didn't go overboard. And it really confirmed how I felt. I was like, I got a lot of sleep. I don't feel great. So anyway, it was like, you're right. Don't overdo it. It doesn't just count 
the steps that you take or what you do, it tests your cardiovascular health, like how much exertion your body has, not just in your workouts, but in every part of your day. And so sometimes it's slow because you might be getting sick, sometimes because you worked out real hard the day before. It It's just the ultimate self-awareness tool for understanding how you feel and what you should be doing that day. It like really plays into my competitive instinct because I'm not very good at getting to bed on time and that kind of stuff. But I also know like I want it to say I did a good job in the morning. <laughs> and so I, I want it to be proud. Yeah. So like I'll be like, all right, I'll, I'll try to go to sleep now, like at 1030 when otherwise it'd be like midnight. Listeners of the show who have signed up have reported improved sleep from using their whoop, drinking less alcohol, fewer injuries from their workouts, and reductions in their resting heart rate and increases in how much sleep they're getting. And right now, our listeners have an offer to get 15% off their purchase with the code Diana. You just go to whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, and use the code Diana at checkout to save 15% off and optimize the way you live. This episode also brought to you by Diana Kander speaking. Uh, I am very proud of my wife as she recently gave a speech at this conference and then the industry magazine put her on the cover and I opened it up and this is, this is what the article says. It starts with a quote. It says, that speech was worth the price of the entire conference. And then under that, it says, we have held many, many events over the years, but it's extremely rare to hear an attendee make a statement like that. And yet we heard similar sentiments from not just one, but multiple guests after this year's conference in Cincinnati. And it says, and who were they talking about? Which keynote speaker gave them so much value in just 45 minutes? Diana Kander, a serial entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, and sought-after consultant specializing in helping businesses become more innovative and embrace new technology. Anyway, I just thought that was really cool. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that, honey. And I will say that just for the listeners of this show, if you go to my website, dianacander.com, and type in the keyword Diana into the booking form, I'll throw in a free professional AF water bottle for any speech booked. How's that for a deal? That's a great deal. For the holiday season. Mm -hmm. Diana. We've talked so far about using survey instruments or an outsider, but it is possible to become more self-aware by interacting with people and just asking them for feedback, right? Absolutely. Um, There are two questions that I typically teach my coaching clients. And uh, to your point, it's exactly right, which is sometimes we make feedback into this big thing like, oh, I have to sit down with each person for an hour. And that becomes untenable really quickly because most busy leaders don't have time to do that. But if you start to think about feedback as a very focused, very directed conversation with um, people who support you and will tell you the truth, it becomes, hey, um, can I grab you for two minutes after this meeting? So you just saw me do a client presentation. Do you have any thoughts for um, what worked or any ideas for what I could do to be more successful next time? And then I think part of part of what makes getting feedback so uh, inefficient sometimes is that we spend half the time talking, right? We're, oh, well, the reason I did that was because of this or, oh, yeah, I, you gave me that idea and I've definitely tried that. It's probably not going to work. When really the question um, of, of you know feedback and when people give it to us, all we need to say is thank you. Thank you for that feedback. And I think with those rules, um, most of us can find five to 10 minutes a couple times a month um, and, and really get a big payoff, I think. So the first rule is to listen and the second rule is to just not take a lot of time for it. 
right? I think as much as you can get efficient. Um, one thing we found in our in our research project um, with these highly self-aware people that didn't start out that way is they had a very efficient process and they were focused about who they asked. So instead of saying, you know, I'm going to get feedback from everyone, most of them had less than a handful of people that they regularly asked for feedback from because they knew these people, again, had their best interest at heart. They knew they would be honest with them. They didn't have to waste a lot of time with like, oh no, you're doing great, but am I really, really, (laughs) you know? Um, And so if we can be efficient about it, it's asking the right people the right questions with the right process. And it's not a crime to make that efficient and easy for ourselves. And in fact, the more we do that, the more likely we are to make it a habit, which is when we start to get those sum total effects where, you know, we're making game changing improvement. Well, you just kind of totally threw me off by throwing the word habit in there (laughs) and making (laughs) feedback into a habit. How do you, you know, once you explain the need for it and I'm actually running a workshop next week about, you know, you can, you can think about asking for feedback from customers, vendors, employees, mm-hmm. like it's, it's a big spectrum of people you can ask. How, how do they turn it into a habit? Like once they're bought in, okay, I need self-awareness. Okay. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask short pointed questions. How do they turn it into a regular practice rather than something they're highly motivated to do after they talk to you and then just kind of forget to do? I would say the answer probably is going to be different for everyone, which is inconvenient, but true. Um, I have super type A overachiever clients who take their, their feedback givers to coffee once a month for an hour and get it that way. I have other clients who, as I was mentioning earlier, um, you know, have their target three to five people and do it more informally where they grab them after a meeting or they send them a quick text message like, Hey, I might not get a chance to talk to you this month, but, um, what's one thing I can do to be a better coach? Um, I think the point is that as as much as we search for perfection in getting feedback, the less of a habit we're going to make it because there's all, it's always going to feel like it's not a good time. We're always going to feel like we want more time or, you know, there's a more convenient uh, situation in which to ask for the feedback. And that's where I think it becomes so important for us to have these, these, questions that we have at the ready, you know, so the, the examples I gave were, um, you know, focus on something you're trying to work on and saying, what have you noticed in the last 30 days in, in how I'm showing up on this? And then what ideas do you have for me in the next 30 days? But if that's too much, if two questions are too much, um, my old standby is what can I do to be a better blank? You know, give me one idea for what I can do in the future to be a better public speaker. And again, if you don't make it into a big, you know, if we don't make it into a thing where we hem and haw and are defensive, um, they can tell us that thing in 30 seconds. And then we say, thank you so much. And feedback bomb delivered and received, and we can sort of go on with our day. So shrinking it, shrinking that change and shrinking that commitment as much as possible, I think is what helps us make it a habit. Do you have any advice on how to know if they're telling you the truth? (sighs) I would say (sighs) the first thing I'd look at is, are you seeing them put tough truths on the table in other situations? So, you know, I always want to run directly towards the people who in a meeting are going to say something like, you know, well, the elephant on the table that nobody's really bringing up is this. Those are the people that as long as we believe they, you know, are supportive of us and want us to be successful, 
can be hugely uh, helpful. I agree with you that if somebody isn't being honest with you, it it invalidates the whole exercise. It's it's time and energy we're spending where we're not getting a return. So I I would first look to their reputation. Are they seen as a truth teller, or um, you know on the other end of the spectrum, are they more of a people pleaser? Um, have there been opportunities perhaps for them to tell you something where um, they haven't? I, I think it's it's good to look at their track record for sure. Are there any other things you wish people you know took away from? from all of the research that you've done on self-awareness, especially when it comes to, you know, using it professionally and on a team? Here's what I'd come back to. And I think this is really a, a fundamental mindset that we all have to have, whether we're using um, our improved self-awareness for, you know, personal reasons, professional reasons, leader, individual contributor, it doesn't matter, which is that in our research, we discovered that people who are highly self-aware also tend to be high on self-acceptance. And I think this this is like a nice theme that's run through our whole fabulous conversation um, is that when we commit to to becoming more self-aware and to doing the work that requires and asking ourselves those tough questions and getting feedback, we might learn things that throw us off or we might learn things that surprise us or make us feel, I've had this happen multiple times where, oh my gosh, I've worked so hard on that and I'm still getting this feedback. At the end of the day, I think we should all keep this in perspective that fundamentally we as humans um, are are fighting, we're fighting a battle to be self-aware when a lot of things are stacked against us. And there are things we can do to make improvements. And actually, by the very fact of committing to improving your self-awareness, it puts you ahead of most other people who already think they're self-aware. But um, it's, it's just as important for us to sort of love the person we discover we are. That, that was one of our, our research subjects said something so profound in our interview. He said, you know, part of the challenge of self-awareness isn't the actual self-awareness. It's, it's you know, appreciating and having compassion for the person we learn that we are. And so I think as much as we can see, we can give ourselves grace and compassion, it gives us the energy to continue to sustain us. Um, and self-awareness is a journey of learning um, who we are as a complete, holistic, imperfect person. And, and that's, that's the name of the game and that's okay. Tasha, thank you so much. You always have incredible stories, due diligent research. I'm so grateful uh, to have you share that experience with all the listeners of the show. Where can they find out more about you and your work? So what I've found over the years is uh, it's much less important uh, for anyone to learn about me and much more important for them to channel that energy into their own self-awareness journey. So um, there's this really cool resource that we actually created for the launch of Insight two years ago. And and it's a, we call it the Insight Quiz. So what it does is it gives you a very high level view of your internal and external self-awareness. You fill out 14 questions. Um, you send the survey to someone who knows you well. They fill out 14 questions on how they see you. And you get this nice little report that gives you um, an idea of where you stand in your internal and external self-awareness. And then a, kind of a couple of things you can do, like quick hit actions to improve given your results. I always tell people, Please take it. We we created it, you know, free. It takes less than five minutes, no strings attached to make the world a more self-aware place. But just make sure you're not making any major life decisions based on it because it's a <laughs> subset of a larger, much more comprehensive uh, assessment. But if anybody wants to take that, you can find it at insight-quiz.com. 
what a gift you have created for the world. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us. We'll link it in the show notes and hopefully have you back on the show to chat more insights and self-awareness. I, know, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. It was really a pleasure. Thank <laughs> you so much. Jesse, you know what I liked about last week is after the episode, we talked about something that we each wanted to improve. And then we have held each other accountable to it throughout the week by shouting bazinga at one another whenever we do conversation faux pas that we would like to stop. So I thought it'd be cool if each week we now found something new to hold each other accountable to this week being self-awareness. What do you think? I love that. Yes. We do that. What do you mean? We do that with this thing called the team process improvement. Oh, the TPI. You think that's how we do self-awareness? Totally how we do self-awareness. Okay, well, tell me how. So what we do through that exercise is we share a way that either our communication or a process broke down the prior week. And so that's like thinking of it as we're letting the steam out of the pressure cooker every week. You're letting me know, hey, this didn't work for me every week. Yeah, I think that's really good. Somebody who I've taught the TPI to told me a story about a man that is keeping four separate relationships with women they're not married or anything they're just dating all of them know about each other but the way that he keeps them going is through tpis each week with each one separately sounds exhausting but he's just like having a lot of (laughs) self-awareness right not a lot of blind spots going on in those relationships wow anywho we've digressed i think so we should keep doing those yes those are magic any other takeaways from the show my other takeaways are just the creating processes to stop and reflect whether that be personally or in the workplace because our own blind spots we have individually we bring to the collective so the more self-awareness we can apply to ourselves the better our organizations are yeah i just don't think people are taking enough time to stop and reflect like if it's not in your calendar to do reflection points it's just not going to happen and having experiences alone is not going to teach you anything. You Mm -hmm. have to take that time to reflect on those experiences to change whatever code is written in your brain. Totally. I think awareness makes you a lot happier as a result because what Tasha was saying is you are able to align your life more with your values and you're happier. I love it. Well, I wish that for everybody. And I also wish for everybody to join us online on our Facebook group, Professional AF Podcast Insiders. And we've created a big change to the Facebook group this week. Uh, it turns out that you all really love posting photos of yourself in it looking very, very professional. Wink, wink. <laughs> so that's the new Professional AF Facebook group. You post your most professional AF looking <laughs> photos uh, with whatever description you'd like and you let the other members of the group enjoy. I think, Jesse, we should have some challenges this week Let's to take it. our most professional AF looking photos. Oh going to be a good week. Yes. So adventurous. Remember, everybody, I am Diana Kander here with Jesse Jacob, reminding you that curiosity is your superpower. We will talk to you soon.